Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted by Ed, Mike, Gina, myself, Steve, and once again joined by our special guest from the UK, Daniel. So good afternoon, everybody. Hey guys, good afternoon. Yeah, hello welcome everyone. Back, Daniel. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you. So there's tons to talk about as always, but since we are Liberty Block, I want to pass on the biggest news. Um, Liberty Block was deleted by YouTube. Our fearless leader sent them an appeal and this is what he got back. Hello, Liberty Block. We have reviewed your appeal regarding the final, following channel, Liberty Block. After carefully reviewing your channel, we have confirmed that it violates our community guidelines. We understand that this is not the best of news, but we must ensure that YouTube is a safe place for all users. How does this affect your channel? We will not restore this channel on YouTube. All the best, the YouTube team. Oh, they use the safe word. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> safe word, I'm sure they carefully reviewed our channel. Right. And it's interesting because um, Alu, who's the owner of Liberty Block, does most of his writing on Google Docs. And for the last several months, even on the top of every doc, there's an orange bar with a hazard sign that says, this file looks suspicious. It contains links that might be used to download harmful software on your device. Yeah. That sounds unsafe. Shocking. I, I didn't know that we were all that dangerous, but you know. It's interesting that they use that rather than say the content may trigger you. They actually tell you there's malware on a document. That's, mm -hmm. although any of you guys use malware bytes? I've used it in the past. For some reason, for the last 24 hours, and I Googled it, it's all over. It's blocking every Google site and saying it's malware. <laughs> Maybe it's it might be Under true. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, YouTube is statutorily defined as not being the publisher of what Liberty Block publishes. Therefore, forcing, because they're not a publisher of it, forcing them to publish it is not compelled speech by definition. By statutory definition. Right, so definition. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off because I want to go to our legal correspondent and <laughs> ask him for his comments on the Fifth Circuit ruling. Go ahead, Ed. Yes. Well, the Fifth Circuit was gave a much broader analysis than the one I was just alluding to. The Fifth Circuit basically said that they can't use the First Amendment to impose censorship, and I thought it was a really good decision. Um, I think it'll be interesting when it goes up to the Supreme Court. Uh, I think you linked it in the show notes. So, um, you know, uh, the Fifth Circuit is a conservative circuit, but there was another decision. Uh, I forget which circuit it was, which came to a contrary ruling uh, earlier this year. So it's probably going to make it up to the Supreme Court. Um, the Fifth Circuit opinion Reference Justice Thomas's suggestion that uh, that uh, social media companies be treated as common carriers. Uh, I'm sympathetic to that, but I don't know that a court could just define that for them without Congress defining it for them. Um, but to me, I just look at the statute of Section 230, and you know, I'll just read it to you. It says, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information 
provided by another information content provider. Now that's a bunch of jargon, but basically it means when Liberty Block publishes something on YouTube, YouTube is not defined as the speaker. So for us to for, for Liberty Block to say you have to put us on and, and a court to enforce that, it's not compelled speech. They don't have a First Amendment claim on that. I mean, we should use Section 230 against them the way they've used it against us. That's my take on it. So right now, which ruling rules, so to speak, when there's two different circuits and obviously the internet crosses state lines. So how does it work? It depends on where you are. If you're in the fifth circuit, which is Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, the fifth circuit ruling controls. If you live in the other circuit, then the other, the other circuits decision. So somebody suggested that if let's say our friend Daniel Miller in Texas can't watch a Liberty Block video, that therefore there's an action in Texas. Is that not true? It's a standing question. I mean, is, is Daniel Miller, is he damaged? Does he have injury in fact? I'm not sure if he does or not. He, he might. I mean, he does have a right to hear and read and, and, and listen to things that he wants under the First Amendment. He might have standing. Um, but I don't think Liberty Block would be able to have standing based on him. Um, he would have to sue independent independently. But is the judge's ruling just saying you can sue or he's saying they're not allowed to do what they're doing? And then what's the consequence? That's a good question. Um, I only skimmed the opinion, so I, I don't have an answer to that one. Sorry. OK, no problem. And then I saw we have a story here in the show notes that Daniel maybe can speak to. That I saw, I think yesterday, PayPal has deplatformed or cut out this thing called Free Speech Union and the Daily Skeptic. Are you familiar mm. with that? Yeah, they've. Um, I only saw that today, actually. Um, that they 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 cut off a number of people, of which Free Speech Union is one. Uh, and obviously, they're you know putting across. I've not seen much of their content, but. It's putting across the dangerous and radical idea that people should be able to speak to other people. Um, so that's the sort of thing we need to crush if we want if we want freedom and uh, and a proper society. But um, it's it's just you know, unfortunately, these these companies aren't viewing themselves as service providers anymore. Uh, they're viewing themselves as ideology providers, uh, and they're operating on that basis. And they will close down people who don't accord with their beliefs. Is, is it is it just as bad in the UK as it is here? I was just going to say they don't have a First Amendment. <coughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, we don't have a formal protection of our right to hear different views or our right to express different views. Um, you know, we we uh, um, it's it's more of a um, assumption. Uh, that, that free speech holds and free speech exists. But then there you get into things like slander. Um, but the, I mean, we've just had a very big case in the, in the UK, quite important for people like YouTubers, um, because we've had a guy called uh, Alex Belfield who'd built up quite a big following. Um, and he had thousands of people that were following his posts and his commentary. And he's been jailed for five and a half years um, on the basis that he gave regular commentary <coughs> against public figures like uh, um, BBC journalists, 
uh, a guy called Jeremy Vine, he, he gave regular commentary against. And he seems to have developed, Alex Belfield seems to have developed a couple of kind of fixations <laughs> of people he didn't like. Uh, produced a lot of content discussing those people. Um, and this was uh, taken as stalking, uh, even though he, he wasn't physically following these people. Um, but he got jailed the other day, he, you know, a sentence passed down five and a half years for um, two main stalking charges and some minor um, stalking Not charges. Not just that he wasn't stalking, that he, he had no physical challenge uh, following of them. They had to follow him in order to view his content. Well, he was also doing things that like, I think he rang personal numbers, which is, you know, that then it gets into the territory of, yes, it is a form of stalking. Um, but, um, you know, the, the most of the, the kind of evidence, the testimony was very emotional stuff um, based on the, how this had affected the feelings of the, the, the alleged victims or, you know, in law now confirmed victims. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a quite ludicrous situation where you're saying that the degree to which someone says they are offended or harmed or upset uh, factors into a sentence for free speech. You know, it, it shouldn't be a factor whatsoever right. because you cannot quantify emotional response. Well, that, that's like hate speech laws here. Yeah. It should well, never have been enacted in the first place. Go ahead. Not to jump the gun too quickly, but I, I think that uh, Governor DeSantis gave us the template for how to deal with these kinds of issues. We have to just give them a taste of their own medicine until they are forced to suffer under their own policies. They'll, they'll keep doing it to us because there's no penalty to them. And we just we need, you know, Britain needs conservative Tories and America needs conservative Republicans to, to wield government power in service of liberty and in service of freeing people of the yoke of this tyranny. And we need to have our private, we need private businesses to do the same thing to them. Until I, think they that's, the I think that's really, really in, in, an important point. And I, I think it's something that DeSantis seems to understand, doesn't he? Because he will use the powers of his office in, in similar ways against uh, the enemy that they use against us. Yep. And and he's one of few people who's actually doing that. I think that's the sure. answer. I mean, we can't just sit back and and let them hit us whenever they want. And then, you know, when we do it to them, they're going to run to courts. I mean, we, we need to fight with the same ferocity that they fight. And we need to not retire any weapons in the arsenal. You know, Dan, you wrote a post you wrote a post a day or two ago about your writing skills and that you don't leave any, you know, arrows from your quiver in the closet or, I mean, that's my metaphor, not yours, but yeah, that's the thought I have in my mind. We, we can't leave any arrows from the quiver in the closet. We've got to be willing to fire all of them. No. And, and um, unfortunately, I, I, you know, we have to become monstrous to defeat a monster here. And um, you know, our, our base setting is that, that, that we try to stop injustices from them. Um, and sadly, I think we've got to impose injustices on them. You know, we, we, we've got to use the powers of an office, if we acquire them, against them, the way they do against us. Yeah. And that, that most starts, of us that don't do that. With, that starts with defunding just about. Yeah. 
all, oh, all yeah, the entities absolutely. on the left that feed at the trough of government. That's the I, first thing. That's 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 that. Somebody the other day I was listening to infuriated me, and I can't remember who it was, but it was a pretty good, um, pretty big podcaster or TV show. And the guy was saying the one thing we can never do is stoop down to their level and we can never do anything immoral, but because we'll be just like them. And I keep thinking about what Daniel Horowitz said, even though I'm not the biggest fan of his, but it was a good line. If you're kidnapped, you wouldn't break a window to go free. And it was horrifying to hear this solid conservative saying, but never, 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 never stoop to their level and fight the way they fight. And I agree with Ed Maslisch. Um, at the very least, you got to stop playing by these ridiculous rules that they don't play by. So I was very, very disappointed. I wish I could remember who it was that said it. And you, you know, not all, not all exercises of government power in that respect are stooping to their level. I mean, the, the thought I have in my mind is when Trump passed the, the uh, limitation on the SALT deduction, I mean, that might as well have been aimed as a tax at wealthy liberal Democrats, but that's not how he styled it. He styled it as we're not going to subsidize state and local tax taxing authorities to, to tax their citizens. And um, the left squealed about it. The Democrats are still squealing about it. So I, and but that's not stooping to their level. That's just playing smart politics. Mm -hmm. And we need my, smart leaders. My congressman is included in that. <laughs> Josh Gottheimer. Yeah, he's one of the yeah. leading pigs yeah, squealing. Because he's for lower taxes, but he never has anything to say about what goes on in Trenton. But anyway. We... And this idea that um, they're going to investigate and charge DeSantis for kidnapping and all these ridiculous things, that, that's never even going to get into a court, right? Uh, and, uh, I think never it know. could get into a court. I mean, you're, 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 you're the one who always says you're the you're the one who always says all you need is a bad judge. So that's all it takes. Is a but bad this is judge. so <laughs> beyond, beyond, beyond absurd. I, human I think that it's, we, we can't look to the legal system at that point. I think that if they try and arrest DeSantis, it's time for mass civil disobedience. That's my take on it. It's time for the for, for the 50 percent of the country that doesn't go along with this, if not more, to say we're done. We're, we're, we're going to have a general strike. We're not going to work. We're not going to do anything. And if you want to try and imprison all of us, you know, we'll have, you know, go ahead and try. Yeah, wasn't that the thing we talked about a week ago that nobody would stand up and actually do that? It was the thing where they were coming to the door to take the guns. And once somebody's guns are taken, then the next person wouldn't do it. That, that was me. And I think... I can't imagine they're going to arrest DeSantis, but no. you guys all saw the big announcement this morning from Letitia James. Our yeah. Yes, $250 million no, lawsuit. Suing yeah. Trump. Now, mm. not 100% sure what that means the state civilly sues somebody. What exactly does that mean? And why is that different than criminal charges? And It means that they're saying that he committed regulatory violations and they're trying to impose civil penalties ridiculous so to impose a penalty they need a judge they can't just impose a penalty and then he has to fight to not pay it how does that go well he still has a due process uh, right to challenge the penalty what, what's fascinating to me is how they obviously will not stop going after him until the body is dead and stepped on about a million times um but you know if they won the last election so handily why are they so worried about him 
No, this is just pure hatred also. Forgetting even the next election, their hatred of Trump is so all-consuming. I was yeah, surprised she only is suing him. I thought she was going to announce an indictment because well, there was a lot of hope. Uh, I mean, they are worried about him running again and winning. Okay, my yeah, question that's, is- the, that's the big fear, isn't it? That's the, yeah. you know, that that's what it's all for, to stop him running and winning. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, if Biden got his 80 million votes and it was all legit and everything was on the up and up, I mean, what, what should they have to be worried about? See, I don't think it's only fear of him. I think it's fear of anybody because- um, I forget who exactly, but there were people in the press talking about Trump as a fuzzy wuzzy bear compared to DeSantis this week. And they were actually starting to go after DeSantis and saying, boy, we wish we had Donald Trump back. So the minute DeSantis becomes a clear front runner, Trump will take the place of George W. Bush and be their absolute best friend. So I think this is a message to anybody. But I, I, actually, I think that gets to part of their irrational hatred of him. Part of it is that they're afraid of him, but part of it is I think they feel betrayed by him because he was one of them for so long. And he, you know, he danced at their dinner parties and went to their weddings and gave them money and, you know, probably supported abortion in, in private and probably supported a lot of their causes in private. Um, and then all of a sudden decides I'm a Republican and whips them all and makes them all look stupid and and not only beats them, but sort of torments them and, and, you know, uses foul language and, and they're just insane. They're incensed by it. And I think betrayal is a very strong emotion. I think that's part, a big part of their hatred for him. But then again, I mean, they've reacted this way to every Republican, whether it was George W. Bush, John McCain, Mitt, Mitt Romney. I uh, think this is a little different. <laughs> Yeah, well, this yeah. is different because it's not just attacking them. It's attacking everybody that supports that person. I mean, there's whistleblowers coming out from the FBI like crazy saying, you know, how they are going after anybody that was involved with January 6th. They're coming after us normal mom and pops. This isn't just we hate the one man. They're coming after millions and millions and millions of people. But I think that was coming regardless. I think that they've been building up a totalitarian structure for at least so they just found the right they found the right cause to say hey this is the way we're going to take them down let's go for it i just think that it probably would have been done more in quiet the way the education system is being overrun with totalitarianism right now i mean yes they're trying to punish parents at school board meetings but most of it is is being done quietly i mean one of the stories in the show notes was how new jersey is going to the Department of Education is going to punish school districts that don't inculcate this transgenderism and gender dysphoria stuff to fifth graders and all sorts of sex education to eighth graders. I mean, that's not coming after Trump. That's not arresting anybody. They've been doing this silently for a long time, and they're basically close to their goal. And, you know, Trump but what's their goal? upset the apple cart. What's, their huh? goal? what's the goal? A totalitarian country. They want to overthrow America. They want to but overthrow. Then, the but population. then what? Right. But then what? Like you they're, have, they're nihilists. They're destroyed. And Klaus Schwab. Yeah. yeah. ESG and all that stuff. All the good stuff. Transhumanism, maybe. If you want to go really wacko. This perpetual power. That's the, that's what they're they're after, and everything that's done is to extend their power and, and influence and to ensure that there's no means of opposition for anyone else. I think one of the things that was, you know, with Trump, why they hate him so much, 
is, you know, he didn't follow the route of the mainstream Republican, which is to kind of politely demure, but not to not to actually do anything different. You know, if you look at the, the Abraham Accords, that's a radically different policy approach. Um, and that's what they hate so much because his policies worked and that showed up their, you know, 50, 70 years of failure for yeah. all of their, their policies. I thought it was just because he wants to keep eating the beef from McDonald's and not turn to vegetarians <laughs> and so want to take all the cows away. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because so much has changed. And I I'll re I remember Rush Limbaugh after Romney lost. And he was talking about how Romney was like the quintessential Republican. Ha handsome guy, smart. He he's everything that, you know, Republicans in the, in the past you would think about. He was qualified. But he lost. He still lost to Obama. And it got to a point where I think a lot of conservatives, Republicans wanted a fighter. They didn't want the nice guy anymore because they saw what was going around, you know, politically, culturally. And Trump is not a stupid guy. You know what I mean? He, he knows the buttons to push. And he knew that immigration button was going to be a, a key aspect of, you know, him succeeding. So, I, you know, I, I think he read the tea leaves. You know, maybe a, it's because I'm British, but, you know, maybe it's because I'm British, but it seems like a class issue to me as well. You know, the, the number of uh, attack lines that focused on uh, Trump because he's crude and, you know, it's, it's the kind of and the kind of love of Obama was the love of kind of smooth sophistication, wasn't it? The, you know, the kind of lounge singer effect. And, and it's, it's very much a class driven thing. That the 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 elite class wants someone who sounds elite. Yeah. Um, I, you know. I, I think the left gra gravitates to somebody who has a celebrity, like JFK had. You know. Daniel, I, why do you think they hated Romney so much? Why do they attack Kavanaugh so much? You could say the same things about them. Yeah. Um, I think it's got to the stage now where anyone who isn't completely under their control, like a Cheney, um, is going to be savaged. But there's, there's extra savagery and there was always extra hatred of Trump as a, as a class issue. Uh, at least that's how it seems to British eyes, because it, it is, you know, all the stuff about eating McDonald's and, uh, you know, um, and the, the way he spoke, um, those are all, you know, horror at someone who sounds working class, but he's a billionaire. Right. Well, it is. It's where you just said it's the celebrity mindset. I mean, Obama's at the parties hanging out still to this day, mm -hmm. you know, under the big tent, having his big birthday celebrations with Jada Pinkett Smith and all that. And that's what it is. It's the stupid leftist celebrity culture. And Obama's one of their biggest, biggest idols. Yeah. I mean, Trump okay. talked about the forgotten man. He talked about manufacturing and bringing it back. And those, those are, you know, blue collar jobs, salt of the earth type people. And he, he, he knew how to sell it. But just to press, press further, though, Daniel, I mean, Joe Biden is a crude, nasty man. Nobody thinks that he's a nice person. You know, he's got this history of 
sniffing girls and touching girls and yeah. saying stupid things. Kamala Harris is only marginally better. I mean, she's not as bad as as Biden, but uh, she certainly doesn't sound like Obama or Romney or you know one of these country club people that especially you know, about when she cackles. Ed, I think it's even worse because Biden's claim is that he's Lunch Bucket Joe and Scranton Joe. He plays on his blue collar, as if it were true, roots, and they love that about him. And then if Trump talks like he's blue collar, they hate it. So I think it's they use whatever they want in any direction they want to use it. If yeah, Trump but it's, it's, it's a difference between knowing they would love you know, him tomorrow. which one's on the leash. You know, Biden is, Biden is on the leash and completely controlled. Um, so the, the working class stuff is okay then. Um, the, the, the most um, radical thing about Trump was that he, he listened to the actual working class rather than sharing stories about, about unions from 50 years ago. Okay, and then also the whole America first idea. So now Biden spoke at the UN this morning, I believe. Was it this morning or yesterday? It was today. today. I didn't get to hear it, though. Did, I did heard. Hear I didn't hear it. I went to heard it even had I been able to. I heard that he did call for a uh, global corporate tax. <laughs> oh, I did hear that. Yes. Um, yeah, global corporate tax. Yeah, that's a biggie. Um, Daniel, did you hear the speech or are you seeing any reaction in your... No, I, I, I still haven't caught hold of that so far. But the corporate, the global corporate tax thing, that's been coming because uh, that that's been um, messaged by other people previously. Right, but not in America. I mean, it hasn't gotten that high in America. Mm. So I think it's being pushed. I think they've talked about it for, for a while, even here in America. Oh. Yeah, they've been talking at, at the last, I think at the last um, Davos meeting, one of the things they came out and said was that there should be uh, a shared global um, minimum rate of tax. Mm -hmm. Right, but that's Davos. Now he's in America saying it, and it's the <laughs> president saying it. That's a big deal. I mean, of course, they could walk it back, like COVID being over. They I don't think they will walk that one back. No, it's at, at worst a trial balloon because yeah, they're going to try and push it. So, and that's another disaster in the in waiting. You know, it's a disaster in waiting, but. When I look at the multi multinational corporations that have American ties, I don't really have a whole lot of sympathy for them. They're on the other team anyway. I mean, you know, I don't want to sound stupid and, and I'm willing to shoot myself in the foot, but it's not like Apple and and Facebook or all these companies are that are going to be subject to such a tax that, that they're on our side or that they're you know, for America first or patriots or forget about America. They're not for liberty. But it won't actually harm them anyway, because it will function very like uh, in the EU, in Europe, you know, um, relatively high tax levels. But the companies that can survive that best are the big multinationals. Yeah. You know, so um, they'd be they'd be harmed the least by uh, a sort of basic uh, agreed international level of basic tax for everyone yeah. um, because they've got the, the operating capacity to deal with that, whereas small companies don't. So I think it's probably aimed more at removing small companies than, than large ones. 
Well, but on the flip side, smaller companies, at least here in America, can can set up not as corporations, but as limited liability companies. And they can choose to be taxed as individuals or partnerships rather than corporations to avoid the tax. So just, I don't know. I it mean, it just speaks more to their globalist endeavors, their, their desire for one world government. Yeah, and it's, just one, one, it's one other step in that direction. I don't like the idea of, of the U.S. ceding its taxing power, taxing authority to any international treaty or international organization. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I can't say that I feel a whole lot of sympathy for the big corporations that are going to be mostly affected by it. it, how it they, they, something... they won't be the mostly affected. They won't be harmed by it and they will probably back it oh. because yeah. they have they have the capacity to just factor it into their costs. Well, like any corporate tax, it's the consumers that end up paying for it. But Ed, is something like that even constitutional? How could he? How could he enter in, into an agreement like that? Am I missing it? Why? Why would it be unconstitutional if he negotiates a treaty and the Senate ratifies it? If it's, it's a treaty, that, that, well, this is what I'm getting at. I mean, how is how would it have to be done? It would have to be. A well, treaty. I mean, he could do it as a treaty, or he could do it as a as a you know an executive agreement, and then. His, his obligation as president is to ask Congress to pass appropriate legislation. Mm-hmm. I mean, during Obama's term, I don't know if you guys recall, there was Obama talked, you know, floated the idea of trying to impose gun control or even gun confiscation by way of treaty. And, you know, whether whether the Supreme Court would strike that down or not, it's not clear. Right. You know, they they he has power. They, they do have a power. They do have some power to try and circumvent, uh, you know, the the bill into a law pro- process. You were referring to the pen and the phone. Yeah, that's what. No, I wasn't referring to the pen and the phone. I was talking about implementing a treaty. Yeah. Well, we've seen presidents um, say, "I absolutely can't do it," and then a year later, do it. So, mm-hmm. what would stop him? executive fiat? Get his little pen out. Okay, has Martha's Vineyard been beaten to death or we have any <coughs> good comments about it other than laughing ourselves silly? You mean Martha's Vineyard? I just got to say, it's a, it's a beautiful tactical move by DeSantis, isn't it? Um, and, and this is what I like about him, that he will use his powers to do something direct that challenges them and embarrasses them. And, you know, and, and it's aiming at, at their comfort that they can't have these attitudes and do these things and then remove themselves from all consequence. So I'm going to I'm going to channel Ed a minute. I'm going to channel Ed. This was designed to show their utter hypocrisy. But Ed's yeah. way before Bongino. It's not hypocrisy. It's hierarchy. And they're not embarrassed. They don't care. Okay, but why don't we play on that? And my, my question to DeSantis and to every other Republican governor is, why only 50? It should be all of them. They, it's because it, it's the ones that volunteer to go. You can't force them to go. It's the ones that want to go. Okay, I, but you can, you can entice them with comparing the benefits offered by New York and Massachusetts and Illinois compared to texas and maybe that'll be his next maybe that'll be his next step maybe he'll take a cruise ship all the way up to the port (laughs) that's what somebody wrote i think i put up the story from front page magazine that said don't fly and put them on cruise ships you can put thousands at a time 
Yes. But you need to put more than 50 of them. I mean, it's time to give them a, a, an, an avalanche of people the way Texas and Arizona and California are dealing with an avalanche of people. Was that maybe just his warning shot? That's what I coming? thought it was. See, I can do this and then uh, send some to Delaware and send a few more to. I, I was going to say, we were talking about Beverly Hills before the show. Yes. Right? So. Drop them right on Rodeo Drive. They, they probably have a few already. It's California. What, what is he waiting for? It's already been a week. <laughs> it, took the, it took the Democrats on Martha's Vineyard less than 48 hours to ship them out. Mm-hmm. Well, he doesn't have They're as going. many. He doesn't have as many coming up. You got to remember that he's not on the tag. He's not on a border. Okay, so he but, doesn't. But right. Abbott and Ducey have more well, than they, send, and they should be round, not rounding them up, but they should be <laughs> offering as many of them as possible. We'll give you a free bus yep. ride, a free plane ride. Here are all the benefits you could have. If you go to these other places, look what they offer. You, you get Here hugs from crazy old white ladies sending you on your way. Yes, I, I've got to say, I quite like the idea, you know, when you said rounding them up. I like that. <laughs> Make it like a cattle drive. Ouch. <laughs> Diddy slickers. We had a lot go. of trouble, remember, when the Border <laughs> Patrol was whipping people on the border. Yeah, uh, yeah, when year, they were. of investigations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, the problem <laughs> with rounding up is that it does need to be voluntary. That's true. If you just yeah. do it, if you do it coercively, then they're going to intervene and they're probably going to get a court order preventing you, preventing them from doing it. Now, they, the Republican governors can flip a middle finger at court orders, too, but I'm not sure they're ready to do that. But they should be ready to voluntarily transport them all. And now, last time I looked at a map, Venezuela did not border the United States. I believe I'm correct on that. Why are we even entertaining any of this refugee status when they're supposed to go to the next country? Now you're sounding like England. Because um, uh, we have we have refugees come across the entirety of Europe to, to us, and we're the end point. So, uh, you know, the average uh, British citizen says, well, wait a minute, the, the UN agreements on all of this are supposed to be that they go to the first safe country of refuge um and they never do um that country then moves them on to the next which moves them on um but you know this is uh this is standard practice and now it's happening in the u.s and daniel i I believe i saw a story i think in london somewhere in england where apparently a bunch of hindus and muslims went at it yeah that's in uh that's in the town in the midlands in the sort of middle of england so a fair distance from London, but in a town called Leicester. And um, Leicester is one of our uh, most um, racially diverse cities um, or towns. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's got a very high Muslim population. It's also got quite a large um, Indian Hindu population. And they've been clashing between each other. So we're basically getting um, the ethnic conflicts of the Indian subcontinent uh, playing out in a English town. So diversity is really strength. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's been wonderful for us, and we've got you know far more cuisine choices than we had before. Mm. So all the stabbing and acid attacks and uh, <laughs> and other stuff is fine because we've got lots of restaurants. Do you have no-go zones in London like they have in Paris? Um, well, I think that one of the funny things in the, in in Paris and in Sweden, I think, is that 
at some point the police actually admitted that there were no-go zones mm -hmm. and our police have, our police have never admitted that there are no-go zones but of course there are um you know there there are places where it, it would be dangerous for a single policeman to operate okay um i mean we've had we've had things like um uh there's youtube footage of stuff like um when someone goes into a, a dog walker goes into a majority muslim area they're confronted with gangs that tell them to leave because um there's an odd thing amongst muslims that they hate dogs um you know and uh, um we've had um posters put up telling people not to enter that area with their dog walking um because it's a muslim area um you know and there's there's places where the crime levels are obviously higher than anywhere else okay any further comments about the funeral the queen the succession megan um well it's it's a very odd thing isn't it because um you know what we saw with the the pomp and circumstance and the um, ceremony of that was was old Britain and we found out that there's actually quite a lot of people who like old Britain still and you know quite a lot of people who who love the ceremony and and responded in a very traditional manner to it but the at the same time you know whilst the, the the whole funeral stuff is winding down we had new Britain kicking off in Leicester um, so it shows that we're becoming a quite a schizophrenic nation. Um, but, you know, like the divisions in the US, really, um, very similar. Watching it from here, I was just so taken by the by the dignity of of old Britain. And I can understand why people waited in such a long line to be a part of that. I mean, it wasn't about Queen Elizabeth II. It was about you know, the, the tradition and the dignity and the goodness of what old Britain, as you call it, is and was. And I can, you know, it's sort of like here in the States, you know, people, you know, there are some people that long for the 1950s as a time when we had peace, prosperity, mostly social co cohesion, manners, people dressed better. You know, you didn't have, you know, jewelry hanging out of people's noses and tattoos all over their faces. I mean, it was just a different time. And, and you know, I mean, I, for one, look back nostalgically on those times, even though I wasn't born until the 1960s. Um, hey, I'll take the yeah, 80s. Nostalgia <laughs> exists for a reason, doesn't it? Say that again? Nostalgia exists for a reason. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with celebrating your past and, uh, and admiring. Not just your past, but a good past, something worth, yes. worthy of, of, of respect. Well... You know, you go back to the 50s and play devil's advocate, there's going to be people who say, well, of course, um, blacks weren't treated fairly at that time. And they weren't, you know, so it was, you know, it's, it's easier to look back at them with rose colored glasses. You know, not, not I don't think that good. argument should go un, unresponded to today, because what what the people making that argument in Democrat cities and Democrat leadership positions are doing to the black population is even more reprehensible than making that's them a, drink out fair. of separate water fountains. I, I'm not defending the welfare state because listen, since Johnson in the sixties and, and, and uh, you know, the but war, on, po the the war on poverty state. has made their situation much worse. It, it, it's but, not just the welfare state. I mean, it's, 
it, it's what Clarence Thomas calls, uh, you know, the the you know the bigotry that's aimed at mm-hmm. that's inherent in affirmative action. You know, the yeah. the 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 attack on on black people generally, but especially on the masculinity of black males is unrivaled by anything in the past. I mean, I, I just can't let that statement about the fifties go without, you know, I don't think it's better today. I mean, it's different. There are different things. Oh, that are, no that question. Are, the, not everything was perfect then. Certainly in a lot of ways you could argue things are worse right now, but I think to, to go back to what Daniel was saying, I think it speaks to the culture wars that we're having here, where people like Bill O'Reilly would term it, you're a traditionalist, you're a traditional American versus somebody who's not traditional. And I think that's more or less what you were seeing with the funeral. And there are certain traditions that were better in the past. And we've lost them here for sure in a lot of ways. So my understanding of what I think Daniel was writing about, and he can correct me, is that part of what tradition and observances of rituals do is unite and make a society cohesive. Right. Absolutely. It, because, it's a loss of know, that that's destroyed the country. Yeah, it's the story of the country and tradition unites you with your ancestors as well as your mm-hmm. fellow citizens in the same era. You know, so um, uh, I think it was Edmund Burke who, who talked about, um, uh, uh, you know, the electorate of the dead. Um, and and the responsibility any government or uh, state has to them, um, not in the democrat false voting sense either, but in in this this uh, this sense of continuity, history, and identity, which are, are things that are incredibly powerful and important to people. And you know what was evident with the Queen's funeral is that they're they're still incredibly powerful to people. And people want that, you know, like people want religious meaning, uh, people want national meaning as well. And they want to be able to connect to that and identify with it. And it's actually the best way of, of, uh, of unifying people. If I, you know, if I'm standing alongside a black patriot who loves my, the history of my country, uh, we both forget our differences of colour, you know, because we both celebrate the same flag. Uh, and this is what the whole process of CRT uh, destroys and the whole kind of, you know, I'll kneel when, you, when you're standing for your anthem or uh, I'll raise a black power fist or I'll reject any identification and loyalty with that nation because I assume it's all racist. Um, that uh, destroys all the things that bind us together. Um, yeah. And it's the, a really dangerous development for all of the nations in which it's occurred. So that that kind of thing is going on in the UK, because obviously we're coming at it from an American perspective and we have a, a large faction on the left that basically despises their country, despises the history, um, you know, willing to tear down statues left and right that are things that a lot of people are proud of to talk about to our history, speak to our history you're witnessing a lot of that same thing in the UK. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's here. And, you know, we've got, there are British branches, branches of Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, there's, uh, because the, the corporate world is on side with all this, we get it pumped at us from them. Um, and, you know, we had the, the kind of Black Lives Matter sloganeering on, on everything 
over here. We really? had we, not as much as in the US, but we had a couple of instances of statues being pulled down. Mm -hmm. We had a we had a campaign at um, Oxford University, I think it was, called Roads Must Fall, which was uh, basically a bunch of student activists deciding that one of the main um, patrons, one of the biggest bequests in the university's history that has funded students from around the world for, for uh, generations, um, from, which came from Cecil Rhodes, um, his statue should be torn down because of, you know, he was a colonial figure. Um, so we've had all that here as well, definitely. And yeah. we've got a generation just like you that's been indoctrinated by mainly left-wing teaching uh, for 20, 30 years. So can you speak a little bit more, Daniel, to the, the Queen's legacy and, um, you know, just what she meant to the, the country, what the royal family still means? I think you've touched on that a, a little bit already. Yeah, well, but... she, was, she was personally very popular, I think, with the majority of people. Um, and um, But we saw how fragile that was when Princess Diana died um, because... There, obviously, Diana had a huge number of devoted followers, sure. um, and uh, they're, they're, the monarchy was in trouble for a little while. But they did what they they've done for generations, and they adapted. Uh, you know, and they started displaying emotion more openly and more readily, uh, and they started basically pandering to the mob because when Diana died, it, it was a very different atmosphere to Queen Elizabeth's death. You know, the Queen Elizabeth's death, the, the main response has been appreciation of, of her long years of duty and service. And there's, there's, you know, we've got those hard left elements and we've got probably a few million people of uh, different ethnic backgrounds that feel no loyalty to anything about this nation whatsoever. Um, uh, you know, and student radicals. We've got all of that. And they were very much kind of uh, sharing uh, disrespectful memes and, and uh, responding in a, you know, in a kind of crass and unpleasant way to Elizabeth's death. Isn't one but of the reasons the they bring immigrants in specifically because they don't have any loyalty to the history of a country? Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, the globalists want uh, um, a movable workforce that they can exploit as much as possible wherever they please. So that's, you know, what they've done in the UK and it's what they've done elsewhere. I think when we first started having mass immigration in the UK, there was a, a, a large factor of colonial guilt involved in that, you know, because we were retreating from empire and we took some of the people with us. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, and I think that may have been a factor in it as well, as well as just kind of meeting labour shortages after the war. Um, but from Blair onwards, uh, the, it is obvious that the um, the mass immigration increased uh, very much so, and we've had thirty years where polling has always said, and this is true of existing immigrant communities as well. Uh, you poll Indian families, you poll uh, um, English families, you get the same results. Um, 
virtually everyone wants mass immigration under control, um, apart from committed leftists. Um, but no British government has really dealt with it or addressed it for 30 years. In fact, they've encouraged the opposite. They, they keep encouraging more mass immigration. And I think what's interesting here in, in the States is you have people on the left that believe in open borders, but you also have corporate interests that could be on the right, maybe traditional Republican businessmen, and even some would say even some libertarian uh, factions believe in open borders as well. So it's not necessarily just on, on one side. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that alliance we've seen between uh, corporatism and leftism is is flourishing here. I mean, um, I'm quite blue collar. So I, I've worked in an Amazon factory in the UK and I was one of the very few English people working there. You know, virtually everyone was an immigrant working working for Amazon because they work longer hours for less money. Um, you know, and, and that's the that's the bottom line for corporations. That's the cheap, the cheap labor. Yeah. Yeah. You want to prognosticate on what Charles will do to the monarchy? Will he be less globalist? What do you think he'll be? Um, I hope he'll be less globalist because he could um, end the institution if he's uh, if he engages quite as much as he, uh, as he has done previously in, on political issues. Um, you know, the, 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 the great gift of Elizabeth II was also her greatest weakness, which was her passivity. You know, she, she kept out of politics entirely. And I think that's what kept the, the institution of the monarchy going when there were people who wanted rid of it. But it's, it's also means that there, was, there wasn't that um, senior voice representing our history, defending our history. Um, you know, there wasn't um, a monarch prepared to say, actually, some of these policies of government are wrong and damaging my people. Um, you know, we, we never had that, not in public, because, um, you know, and some people feel betrayed by that. There are, there's, there's a kind of right wing critics of, of the monarchy who say that they were far too passive and didn't resist these social changes that we've seen. Um, and I, I can, can, you know, I have some sympathy for that view, but I think the monarchy itself would have ended if the Queen Elizabeth had ever voiced maybe more honest opinions. But what evidence is there that Charles is A, going to speak at all on politics and B, if he does speak as a patriot rather than as a pro-Islam, pro-globalist voice, you know, uh, so, well, sadly, there's very, the, yeah, the there's very little evidence that he'll speak as a patriot. You know, he's already said, he's already hinted um, that he, he basically tried to get, uh, there's a title that the, uh, the British monarch has, uh, which was conferred on Henry VIII, um, and it was uh, Defender of the Faith. Uh, ironic in that it was conferred by a pope and Henry VIII then... Uh, um, did the dissolution of the monasteries and all that. But, um, uh, you know, we broke from Rome after that title was conferred, but it's, it's never been relinquished. And there's always been a Charles link between... Yeah, uh, it's it's Charles always, modified that. Charles said he, he sees himself as defender of the faiths, plural. Well, he, he, he doesn't have the... He, he couldn't modify it 
Um, he didn't actually have the power to modify. I don't it, mean legally, but, but just that's how he views himself. Yes, yes. He said defender of the faiths and that he will defend all faiths equally, which it makes the, the title meaningless, really. Um, you know, if exactly. you if you believe that every faith has uh, the same priority, then you believe that none of them have priority. He's the head of the Anglican Church. How could he say that they're all equal to him? I mean, doesn't that disqualify him to be the head of the Anglican Church? Uh, yes, but this is exactly the kind of debate and the kind of issue that will arise with Charles because he's quite woke and he's, uh, you know, he displays that and he doesn't have the wisdom or the patience of his mother. How healthy is he? Uh, I have no idea, but um, I mean, he used to do quite a bit of sport. He, um, you know, he did the, the polo for quite a, a long length of time. Um, you know, he comes from a long lived family, so maybe he'd be around for a while yet. Not a spring chicken, though, that's for sure. No, no. Uh, I mean, you know. What um, is he, 73? Yeah. Um, so um, I think he's the, the oldest person to, to be crowned that we've had. Um, that's just uh, off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's getting on. But um, hopefully there will be voices that moderate his political engagement uh, and restrain it a little bit. Yeah, I think best case scenario for Charles is to follow in his mother's footsteps. God help us if he decides to enter the political forum and political fray. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's basically a useful idiot for the WEF. Um, so, you know, that's the that's the issue with him. And that will turn off a lot of people. People are fine when he's just a kind of uh, amiable buffoon talking to his plants. <laughs> but but when they're when he's someone who's uh, who's um, telling you that uh, you know from a palace that you have to eat locusts, it, it gets a little bit more difficult to sustain. Okay, done with Britain. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we can... only in terms of conversation. Right, that's yeah. what I mean. <laughs> we can move on we to quick I mean, before fish, we got fish on and the... chips. Before, before we started recording today, the, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates again, and I think that has implications on the world economy, including Britain. Um, we could talk about that a little bit. Okay, so tell us in which way. What do you mean? Well, the Fed is raising rates faster than any other country, um, and Japan is actually cutting rates. When U.S. interest rates are much higher... Other country investors from around the world are going to have an incentive to convert into U.S. financial assets to try and arbitrage or take advantage of the higher interest rate here. And that's putting pressure on the euro in particular. The euro is at a it, it reached dollar parity about a month or so ago, um, and it continues to weaken. The yen continues to weaken. Um, the Fed is trying to fight inflation. Um but I think, I mean, it's kind of a longer conversation, so I'm just sort of throwing it out there. But really, the, the, the Fed, the, the two choices, the Fed, the Fed is faced with two false choices. Either it raises interest rates to the point where 
number one, it causes a, a depression and, num- and or number two, it increases the debt service, the interest payment that the federal government and all the borrowers have to pay that also induces massive defaults. Um, or the alternative is the Fed can reverse course and basically hyperinflate the, the, the currency. And those are the two options that are presented out there. And it ignores the third option, which, and I'm going to tie this back to Britain in a second. The, the third option would be to have sound money, uh, maybe tied to gold, and to focus on fixing the supply chain. Now, that, that's not a Fed responsibility. That's not a monetary responsibility. Uh, but uh, fixing the supply chain, and in particular, freeing up the production of oil would and natural gas would do a lot to stave off inflation. Um, and tying it to Britain, Liz Truss has made some very good statements about allowing fracking and uh, maybe making Britain energy independent or, or at least uh, flooding the, the markets with British uh, energy production. Um, that's one way to keep inflation at bay. Um, unfortunately, nobody is really talking about it, but sound money together with restrict, uh, getting rid of the restrictions on energy production in particular and on the supply chain in general is really the way to fight inflation. And you know, raising interest rates to the point of inducing defaults and contraction is not going to solve the problem. And it, hyperinflating the currency is not going to solve the problem. But as long as the Fed continues to raise interest rates, it's going to put a tremendous amount of pressure on the euro, on the British pound, and on the yen. Uh, how much do you do you think? Because you know what's going on at the same time with this is that that other currencies are moving together to form a rival block, aren't they? And and we're we're seeing you know the the Russians and the Indians and the Chinese, the BRICS. Um, really looking like they're making proper efforts to, to, to give an international rival to the petrodollar. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've heard people say that Saudi Arabia might just get rid of the petrodollar. And, and I mean, basically the petrodollar came into existence when Kissinger went over there in 1974 and negotiated a deal that all oil contracts would be denominated in dollars um, and maybe the Saudis would, would, would abrogate that deal. I don't think that's about to happen because I think uh, the people who say that think that maybe Russia and China will defend Saudi Arabia, but the, the country that Saudi Arabia fears most is Iran, and Iran is looking to join the BRICS countries and get into that trading block. I don't see how the Saudis and the Iranians coexist together, and I don't see how the Saudis could possibly think that the the Russians and or Chinese would protect them from another member of the bloc. So I think the Saudis are going to look to to the U.S. for protection. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong about that. But um, I also think long term, I think the U.S. would be better off if if a trading bloc like that arises and if China cuts us off. I think it would involve a lot of short term pain. But ultimately, that's really what Trump was trying to do. Trump was trying to bring manufacturing back home, bring production back home and deglobalize. And I think that's what that's what the the BRICS challenge really is all about. Um, We should stop depending upon the rest of the world and we should be bringing manufacturing home. We should be 
doing things here in America that open up production and open up supply chains within America. And, and I think it, it, there would be some short-term pain, but we're in for short-term pain regardless right now. We've got a real a whole bunch of mess, messy problems right now. So I think the, the Fed rate is up to like three and a quarter percent right now, right? So yes, I mean- and, and think about that. It was, it was a quarter of a percent, zero to a quarter percent with inflation at two. And now it's at three and a quarter with inflation at eight. They're going backwards. This is not going to solve the inflation problem. Yeah, I mean, you can't even call it a half measure. <laughs> like, so what is the point? What are they, what are they doing at this point? Well, I think the point is they're putting pressure on these foreign currencies. I think that I, I've been talking about financial crisis and currency crisis for a while. And I think that's really the under undercurrent of what's going on. Um, I think a currency crisis is part of how these countries are going to try and implement digital current central bank digital currencies. Um, and I think that's a that's a big part of what's going on right now. Um, but I think I think there's a power move going on. And it I don't know Jerome Powell person, you know, I don't know him well enough to know how tied into Davos he is. Uh, I know that there are some people that think he's raising rates as as a middle finger to Davos and he's trying to put pressure on on Europe precisely to get them to wake up to what's going on at Davos. I don't know that whether that I, I don't know whether that's true. It doesn't really sound sounds that's, plausible, that, but that unlikely. sounds a bit hopeful to me. Exactly right. It's it, it's possible, but it seems too hopeful to me. But I don't know. I'm not sure. Because I, 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 sadly, I think everyone is tied into Davos. I think so too. I mean, we talked about it the last time you were on the show, Daniel. Even Putin is tied into it. And, you know, I, you know, I, I still have a nagging feeling that this whole Ukraine war is just a gigantic setup and, and Putin's getting his payoff on the side, whether it's from China or, or somewhere else. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, even Putin is tied in with, with the WEF. Well, it's, if, if anything, it's, it's, um, it's sort of streamlined and improved the Russian economy as far as I can see. And it's it's strength and links they have that the West can't break. Yeah, I mean, the, the ruble is stronger, is one of the few countries that's actually stronger against the dollar today than six months ago. And then they're, um, you know, they've not had the inflation that most other nations have had. Correct. And And I think a big part of that is they tied the ruble to gold. Yeah, they're, they're they're you know they have more sound they have a more sound money policy than other Western countries are have, and I think they're benefiting from that. that that's something to laugh at right there. <laughs> I think you, that's yeah, I mean, was... twenty years ago, you wouldn't think you'd be sitting around saying Russia has a more sound financial policy than the West, would you? No. no. 20 months ago, I wouldn't have said that, but <laughs> here we are. But I, I think it's really helpful that Liz Truss is, is talking about fracking the way she is. You want to give us a little more of a report on what else she's proposing and if anything is already rolling into action? Well, she's, I mean, uh, there's uh, 
nothing much yet rolling into action because we've been a bit distracted. But um, the, the, I mean, the main things is that she's still insisting that there's going to be tax cuts, which is good. And, um, and yeah, the fracking stuff seems more sensible. There's also uh, a kind of um, very, very late realisation that maybe nuclear technology that works is efficient and uh, cheap and safe um, might be the, the, the way to go for our energy needs as well. So, you know, we had energy reviews 30 years ago and even under um, uh, Maggie Thatcher, Thatcher was saying that they would build a new nuclear power plant every year for a set number of years, and it never happened. Um, you know, and we had old kind of uh, size world type um, reactors that we were taking offline. Um, and it's, it, it's you know, uh, renewables are not going to replace that, those because they're not very good. Nuclear reveals the lie of, of the greenies, right? I mean, nuclear is the totally. safest and cleanest alternative fuel, and they are dead set against it. Yeah. And that just reveals the lie of their position. They're not for 100%. energy. They're against industrial civilization and against really humanity and human flourishing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> essentially, the, the, you know, the average eco-warrior wants us in a cave or dead. So um, they're not going to support a policy that actually works because it's a, it's a, you know, um, fanatical and religious cult, essentially. You said it. You're here. But, um, you know, it is good that um, Liz Truss has said about fracking because, you know, it's very similar. Again, it's a similar situation to the U.S. because you've got reserves that you wouldn't use. Um, and, uh, you know, and exploit. And so have we, you know, I, I think they estimated that there's three to 400 years worth of, uh, of, uh, of gas that we've got that we haven't used, um, you know, that would supply all our needs for that length of time. So um, fracking is needed. The, the, you know, the difficult thing with, with something like that for us is that we're a very densely populated uh, small island. So any kind of ecological impact whatsoever is going gonna, is gonna to be more difficult to accommodate than it would on, in larger countries. But, um, it, you know, we've got to go for energy independence, and I hope that she does. I think we should also mention the, the story, the news that came out that keeps coming out about the COVID shots. About how bad they are? Yeah, and the reports from the coroner saying that they're seeing clots that they've never seen before. Uh, you shared. They're making article. beach ball sized tatas. They're what? Nothing. The story in Canada. Oh, I'm sorry. I got the shop oh, teacher. Yeah. It, yeah, it was a joke. The COVID's making the beach ball prosthetic. Never mind. Okay. Go, go about I, your I business. Just, <laughs> I don't understand yeah, all the science. Behind it, what were we going to say, Dr. Daniel? I was going to say that the the uh, stuff that's been coming out, um, you know, one of the sources I found very good is Epoch Times, and and the stuff that's been coming out in there about the the consequences of the COVID shots is uh, is terrifying, really. You know, the the clots that these they're finding novel crystalline 
structures in people's bodies that were never identified before and they don't know quite what it is um right. you know and they're pulling out long lengths of uh, disgusting looking tissue um and and the, the you know apparently the embalmers are saying that 70 percent of bodies are showing up with this how long is it going to take for trump to change course on the vaccines uh, I don't know. I mean, that's obviously one of the biggest negatives against him was that that he um, went along with the with the you know what I consider a dangerous and uh, reckless and stupid medical experiment. But um, you know, so did every world leader, really. He definitely uh, he made some mistakes there. He, he tr- maybe he trusted too much. But it's it's still fa- think, it's still fascinating that you know you have other countries around the world now that are saying no no more shots if you, you know you're under fifty years old the end but here I'm still watching TV as and they're pushing boosters and it's like where, where's any sense of rationality at this point for a, a, a shot that do, you know doesn't work so clearly. It yeah. doesn't stop you from, from getting it. It doesn't stop you from spreading it. It doesn't stop you from dying necessarily. And, and you know, here we are. They're, they're still pushing it. And, you know, there's not a day goes by that I don't see a story about some young kid dropping. And your, your instinct is to say, did they have the shot? Well, isn't it 30,000 deaths according to the, the BAER system in the U.S. now? Um, and that's a system that will only get you about 10% of the actual figure of deaths. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy at this point. I, mean, I uh, think, I think that the conservative movement in America needs to see Trump and DeSantis debate that issue. I think we need to see a vigorous primary. I really hope, I hope that Trump runs and DeSantis runs. I hope that neither one steps aside for the other. Uh, because I think that they will both make whoever would win the debate is going to be stronger for it. I don't think this would be a primary where the the winner would be so bruised that he'd be damaged for the general campaign. Um, I think that's just, you know, from my perspective, I was a big Trump supporter in 20. I still like him and support him, but candidly, I'm I'm on the DeSantis bandwagon now. Um, I would support either one of them, but I, I really want to hear Trump tell me what he's going to do differently and what he's learned. I mean, I don't want to just. I mean, you don't just want to hear, Hey, I see. I told you so. (laughs) Right. I mean, that, that, that's pretty much, that would be his campaign right now. Right. See, I told you so. See, see about the economy, see about what happened in Afghanistan with the pullout and inflation and everything else. I guess there's just, to me, there's a difference between revenge and winning. If, if, if you want revenge, Trump is probably your guy. But if you want to win, I mean, Trump could be the guy to win, but I'm more confident in DeSantis as a winner. Um, I, 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 um, I'm more confident in DeSantis tactically, um, but I'm yeah. um, more confident in Trump actually winning because, um, you know, assuming there's not a, a, a giant scale of um, corruption again, which there probably well, will be. But, um, you know, if, if uh, it was just on the strengths of the candidates, then Trump has something that DeSantis doesn't. You know, Trump has a mythic quality. Trump, Trump is a giant. 
Um, and DeSantis is tactically excellent and would probably be better at dealing with um, uh, the swamp than, than Trump was. But he doesn't have that, that quality of making people love him. Um, and he, he doesn't have that, that stature that, that Trump has, I don't think. Yeah, the, the ego isn't quite as large. Yeah, but it's it's kind of justified ego. ego, isn't it? Yeah, and I I don't think it's it's not ego that people are attracted to on Trump. It's I don't know. I mean, Daniel, I think you're right about that. I mean, it's it's charisma. It's it's the ability to connect with an audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and it's also I, I I I actually think you know I'm a person I love Trump's narcissism. I actually love it, you know, and it's a kind of main, one of the main attack lines of, of uh, the Democrats and the left is, is how narcissistic he is. But what they never acknowledge is that he, he does that hyperbole with other people as well. You know, he'll introduce someone that he's met five minutes before as the greatest guy in the world, you know, um, and it's, there's a generosity to it if someone's on his side. Uh, which is quite lovable, I think, and quite endearing. Um, I like that um, that hyperbole from him. Um, and I think he's, I, I just think that the ideal scenario would be uh, Trump uh, in charge of the big picture and DeSantis in charge of how that happens. What do you mean Trump in charge of the big picture and DeSantis in charge? Well, of most of the big calls he got right. You know, most of the big, only COVID, I'd say that he was led astray. Um, and, and even then, his instincts were, Trump's instincts were to open up America quickly, as we said before. That's true. So uh, on big calls, you know, the, the, the big picture of everything, Trump is nearly always right. Um but the, the, the detail of how you it's fight the execution, the it's the execution. That's yeah, where DeSantis exactly. comes in, the executing the, that big deal. Yeah, and, and the, the detail of how you fight the people who are trying to stop you. Um, DeSantis is much better on that. But Trump is better at the big picture. And he's, you know, you look at the two campaign ads that they did and the, the, the DeSantis one... I know it's presentation, but that DeSantis Top Gun video that he that released, that was, that was awful. And, no, and I that, liked that, it. Oh, it was terrible. I liked it. it was, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I hated it. And it was, it was like, it was like some kind of 22-year-old purple-haired leftist had come in and said, what do these guys like? They like Top Gun. Let's do that. And, and and Trump's ads are always, I know it's presentation, but it matters. And Trump's ads are always on the nail completely. I don't know whether it's that that's him or whether that's a guy advising him, but they're always perfect. But that's just it. It's always packaging with Trump. Trump, with Trump. He sort of inverts Teddy Roosevelt's advice to speak softly and carry a big stick. Trump speaks loudly and, and has this nothing stick. I mean, he's all bark and no bite. And, well, and that's I mean, part of what I think is lovable about him, honestly. I mean, if he were vindictive and really went after people, he probably wouldn't have as many people like him as he does. But 
Um, the reality is we need him to go after some people. But, yes. And right now, um, he need, I mean, even before he becomes president again, if he does run and win, I mean, he needs to be saying right now that he's going to come after people and not just rhetorically like lock her up. He's he, I mean, right. That's what I touched on last week. Like, why have you not exposed anything? Right. It's been what, six years since you said that? Right. Yeah. I mean, what, what are you waiting I mean, for? The swamp right. doesn't need to be drained. It needs to be carpet bombed at this point. So it's <laughs> got to change, change the way he's going about it. But it, it does but, as well. It It's strange, isn't it? That, you know, I think you're right there that, you know, he, he needs far more in terms of fighting the battle against them. He, he just wants it as rallies and words. And you need yeah. actions and you need actions and policies. That's um, the, that's what the did he say all during the campaign? Politicians are all talk, 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 talk. Yeah, talk. yeah, yeah. And then he becomes one of them. Well, that, that all, all that stuff was so narcissistic, all the rallies and everything, because it was all about him. You know, so that's why he indulged in that all the time. But we're getting late. So I just wanted to dial it back to, um, you know, we're thinking about the Republican primaries. We have a big election in like seven weeks. And I'm starting to feel like the Republicans are blowing this. I'm, I'm seeing an NBC poll yesterday. You can't believe the, an NBC poll. OK, I know that's one, that's that's one. Listen. Just by virtue of it being an NBC poll, you can easily give the Republicans another three points and subtract probably three from the Democrats. But they, they had they had the generic ballot as even. And you still have to look back historically, which is what they were doing, too. Like, you know, you go back to some of the other wave years. And I have a feeling right now, honestly, the Republicans may be blowing this election. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's it's, it's always going to be on them to a certain extent that they're not they're not prosecuting this war. Right. They're not they're not pushing the hot button issues the way they should be. But I'm starting to wonder if some of these other issues like like the road decision may have undercut us. I, I don't I don't know. It's going to be interesting to find out. But I, I'm concerned. I, I was convinced that this was going to be a wave and I'm not convinced right now we're looking you at know, it. I think and I, I see a lot of comments through all these different Republican groups that I am part of. And, you know, you still have the same thing. Well, it's not going to be fixed until the 2020 election was fixed. And you are still going to have a lot of people unless the politicians and step up and say, hey, this is what we are actually going to address. I do believe it was fraudulent. These people will not come out. And that's the biggest thing we've got to get yeah. the voters out. Well, I think that the NBC poll said immigration, the economy and crime were the three biggest issues that Republicans are stronger on. So if they're not beating that to death. And they I think it's also a case that the, the level of Democrat corruption and control of the system has got so extreme now that you're in danger of having a lot of people who despise it thinking there's no point voting against it because it will just be rigged anyway. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, that's, well, that's big, yeah, that's, that's a big question after the last presidential election is what kind of tricks are they up to this time? <laughs> yeah. So we're we're going to find oh, out. Heck, how many people still think that Trump's going to be put back in office in the next two months? For goodness sake. Come on. Now. You know, and, and I can just say this locally, um, the Republican, I think is running for governor in New York. They're attacking him on the road. Oh, Zeldin. They're attacking him on the road decision, and they're also using the J6 stuff against him. Of course they are. Okay, but I'm just um, I'm yeah. pointing it out. This is what they're yeah. doing. There are perfectly good responses to that. Why is the RNC not 
running ads, the generic ads saying Mitch, Mitch McConnell is pulling money from some of these Senate races. Now that might be for the better because I'm not even probably, just talking probably about some of their ads races, Mike. Okay. I'm talking about what it means to vote Republican. If you want to be able to think your to express your political thoughts publicly without fear of losing your job or being prosecuted by the Department of Justice and FBI, vote Republican. I mean, why can't they do a commercial like that? Because maybe they can't get any of the networks to air their commercial. <laughs> well, why, you know what? I get enough fundraising le- emails. Why can't they just send it as an email? Why can't they do it through Rumble? There are channels that they could do it. I'm not going to let them off the hook for that. They're not it was willing a joke, to make man. the arguments. And, and I mean, yeah. I'll say more about that maybe when we're offline. But they're not the, the RNC is not willing to make arguments. And... Some Republican candidates are. Carrie Lake is. Carrie Lake says if the day that she wins, the day that she gets sworn in, she's going to invoke Article 1, Section 10 and declare an invasion and send the National Guard down to the border. Good for her. Yep. Why, why aren't other Republicans? I mean, look at what these, you know, you, Gina, you mentioned that woman, that man, woman thing oh, in Ontario. I mean, that <laughs> is such a powerful issue. Mm-hmm. Why aren't they running ads all over the country here? And it doesn't have to be specific to any individual. Just this is what Democrats support. If you don't if you don't like it, vote Republican. I mean, the commercials almost write themselves. It's not hard, but they I, won't. I wrote, I, I, wrote a, I wrote a commercial ad. I wrote a commercial. I put it on my Facebook the other day. Did you see it? I didn't have I don't have it to the images yet, but the words are there. I'll share it with y'all. Wow. Okay. I, I'm on it. Grassroots. I think if they I think um if if they did exactly what you just said there, Ed, that there would be a landslide, but they yeah. won't do it. This is the problem all the time. They don't fight. Yeah. They yeah, don't but they're, they're more, you know, it, it's, they're more they're there the to, to be a dance partner than a, than a rival, aren't they? Yep. hundred percent. They're in the club. I don't know if they want to be a dance partner. They, they're not even in the game at all. So... You know, like I said, we're getting closer. I know I know things will ramp up more in October. You start seeing more ads on TV, but right now, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not I'm not expecting the big victory that we were anticipating. There, there should be, I mean, with the things that have happened since uh, Biden was illegally installed, there should be an enormous wave uh, in Republicans' favor. But they're, I think you're right that, that, you know, Mike, that they are blowing it to an extent. I think it's quite possible that they are right now. Yeah. And uh, that would be so bad. You know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what you can say as a Republican. If they if they don't win the House. That's like. That's like a 10. Yeah. As, as far as I'm concerned as being bad. That's that's when you voluntarily all go and live in the cave, isn't it? <laughs> that's when we all start start have, having to pack heat for sure. Yeah, join the militia. Now we're going to be thrown off everybody. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, you ready to wrap up? Any really yep. quick closing closing thoughts or issues? Nope. nope. No, I think we hit it off from my perspective. Uh-huh. Excellent. Well, uh, uh, the British perspective is. Um, you know, you're welcome to, to request to, to join the monarchy again if you want to. 
Oh, gee, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm going to go get a and spot of you tea. You know what, Daniel, you're <laughs> welcome to join us anytime you want to come back. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's been fun again. Okie dokie. All right. Closing up for today. We'll be back next week, regular time. Please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. And remember, you can leave comments while we're live on Facebook. And we're willing to provide the Zoom information if you, <clears throat> excuse me, if you'd like to talk to us live. With that, have a wonderful evening.